So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. As always, you can find us on social media. Yeah, so on Facebook, uh, you'll see our picture and it's simply Folk on Falcons. On Twitter, again, it's the same picture of us two smiling at Toulon and that is at Folk on Falcons. And if you'd like to send us an email... It's folkonfalcons at mail.com. Brilliant, thank you. So this week we'll review our match against Harlequins. Um, I think we'll both agree we're a bit unlucky in that one. Look forward to our match next week against Bath. We'll, in doing so, we'll chat a bit about a couple of injuries and new faces that we'd seen, um, some quite promising performances, and also encouraging that we've still got a bit of strength uh, that wasn't in the squad as well. General rugby chit-chat, we've chatted a little bit more about the rugby 12s, and also the Rugby Europe Super Cup, a competition which you may or may not have read or heard about. And we'll finish up with a roundup of the uh, rugby results from the weekend, as well as a few others from within the region. So there we go. So without further ado, I think in general we can both agree it was. I think in general we can both agree it was quite an unfortunate outcome on Sunday. Not necessarily not the right one, but I think if. Um, We'd have won with Harlequins getting a bonus point. I don't think too many people would have said that it was an unfair result. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, perhaps it's slightly frustrating as well, given that we only got one point out of it. But you're right, I think lucky is probably the right word. And there was a lot to encourage uh, about in it. I mean, we only have to look to our last league game of the season, of course, away to Harlequins and the difference in, in scoreline and, and performance. I know, obviously, we've had a pre-season in the middle of that, but I think we, there's a lot we can kind of take from that. Certainly a lot of positives to take going forward into the new season. I mean, it was always a tough ask at home to Harlequins. And I think we both thought it was going to be pretty close. Uh, maybe just, you know, a point here or two there, you know, once from one side or the other. And I suppose that's kind of how the game panned out. So... Yeah, I think we can be a bit encouraged, if slightly, slightly frustrated, perhaps. Yeah, so I think the game started in a reasonable manner. We looked quite dominant at times in the first few minutes, but then didn't get on the score sheet, and they did from top to bottom or bottom to top. I don't know how you how you'd say it. Yeah, well, I mean that's right. Really, we were sort of we were well in it. I think even early on they did have more possession and territory, but never really. Threatened as much. I thought we looked again throughout the whole game, really. Um, and this is obviously one of the most promising things is that we do look solid defensively. Um, however, they did score eventually, pressured it sort of tell. They were, you could see that they are a very clinical outfit. And not long after, they did race into a 14 0 lead. And, and you did sort of, you know, you were a bit worried at that point for, you know, here we go, uh, hammering in at the start of the season. Uh, but then they did what we normally did, or at least we did last season, and concede straight from the kickoff. Well, we try uh, for, from Radwan getting to the corner, and then uh, potentially already a try of the season candidate. And you know, if people weren't convinced convinced about how good Radwan was, then you know, take a look at what's probably going to be try of the week and potential try of the season. Absolutely incredible run where he collected the ball. I think it was from Danny Kerr who did a sort of a box kicker, collected it, and then jinxed his way past, um, and then just a quick offload to Stevens, who obviously nicely finished. Yeah, I think that that try kind of sums up the progression that Radwan's made over the years. We were chatting and saying how we remembered, must be four years ago now, we went down to Bristol and saw him at Ashton Gate, and telling some of the Bristol fans that he was absolutely lightning quick, but um, he was still not the finished product. And then obviously over the championship season and last year, he really came on, and then that try caught the high ball, uh, which he's obviously worked on, 
he did a, a, a rugby one and two with Penny, which was quite an interesting thing that we saw. We don't get that very often, but it seemed to work quite well. There was a half a yard gap, and he went straight through it. Size up three people. And then what I thought was really impressive was, um, I think he could have probably tried to skin the player on the outside or the inside or whichever way he wanted, but he did the sensible thing and there was a two on one and he just gave the simple little pop pass and um, put Stevens in under the posts and it was kind of a one where it would have been an excellent individual try, but I think it was almost even better because he showed that rugby awareness that shows he's a, a rounded player, not just a speed machine. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not just sort of the selfishness, as you, as you say, or sorry, or lack of selfishness rather um it's more um i think it shows his confidence as well i think if you're a player who was who was low on confidence or felt start season you needed to make a mark maybe he would have tried and got the try but because i think he knows that he's gonna get tries that he you know he he is the creator for the team in many ways isn't it every time he gets the ball you're on the edge you see you think something's gonna happen um and i think there's confidence comes from that that means that he has more of the mindset now that he can draw the players because he is more of a target as well. He can draw these players and often that does create space for, for the players. And, you know, I, obviously it was the right thing to, to pass it to, to Stevens. Um, he may well have kind of burnt them off and got himself, but, you know, it, it was obviously the right thing to do. And I think it, we obviously would have been kicking ourselves if he'd failed for, from that by, by not doing that. But that sort of summed it up and you sort of thought, you know, we're right sort of back in the game here. And I think even in the second half, we were, well, sorry, before the second half, so right in the first half, we were kind of unlucky for a couple of decisions as well. And, you know, maybe we could have gone in at half time after being 14 nil down. Yeah, um, I think uh, there was a couple of ones that kind of irked me a bit. The first one was when we had our driving ball from the one of the first lineups of the game, if not the first, where we marched the pitch at a rate of knots. And we got from about the halfway to the 22 within about, three seconds and they're almost running up the pitch and it was a deliberate cynical collapse for more and I guess the, the question that I'd say is they were, they were never going to stop that legally by that point so how far out is the, the furthest out penalty try ever given by collapsing a rolling more there seems to be this unofficial rule that's kind of got to be within the five metre line but with that one I think that was there ever a prospect of that being one or that one not being scored if it wasn't collapsed illegally I'm not sure and then the one that really annoyed me was when we got the the, the follow-up more from the penalty, I think as a result of that one, uh, we kicked it to the corner and we won the line out. It was quite obvious to everybody except the referee and the linesman that it was a try. And because the cameraman was useless and the refereeing uh, touch judge weren't looking in the right place, we end up with one of these ridiculous situations where the defending team get a dropout. And I know I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the, the new rules and what have you, but I just feel that I, I the, the, the logic for this rule is it rewards good defence, but there's nothing good defence about the referee being in the wrong position or the, line, the linesman being in the wrong position. It's just um, rewarding or the defence for the referee's failure. And it almost makes me think that if you go to Kingston Park and the TMO is going to get called into action, if you see a cameraman, stick your Black Falcons flag in front of him so he can't... Uh, zoom in on the touchline if the opposition are about to start scoring because it seems that there's such a big advantage now to the TMO not giving a try that um, you need to kind of do everything you can to, to prevent it. So shine a laser pen in the referee's eyes and um, put a flag in front of the cameraman. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's typical that first time we kind of see this, encounter this rule sort of in a competitive match, we kind of get the worst of it really um, in terms of the as you say, it wasn't necessarily good defence because I think if that's on an amateur pitch there's no TMO and that's given us a try because quite clearly Ferns was over the line. I couldn't see it was grounded, but you know, I think if if you to, if you had to go one way or the other, for my position, I would have given it. 
But yeah, it's it sort of it goes into the fact how we're a bit unlucky because that's that's one of the decisions which we kind of felt maybe we didn't get the rub of the green with. Um, yeah, and I, th- I think that um, we can, Murray Polar's double movements one of those ones where. You've seen them given, you've seen them not given. I guess don't don't make it quite as obvious if you're going to do it. Then also with um, Harlequin's first try, I'd say that was a, a 14-point score in a way because Penny was within an inch or two of getting an intercept try, running the length of the pitch, and it'd be 7-0 to the Falcons, but instead it's 7-0 to Harlequin's after he missed the intercept. So um, I, I guess that's one of the ones where the match would turn out very differently. Well, potentially turned out very differently had that one stuck in Penny's fingertips. I mean, to be fair to Quids, I mean, they, everyone was kind of surprised because it was only about 20 metres in front of the post and then they opted for the scrum, didn't they? And it was obviously a, a you know, a training ground move, uh, which just about came off for them. But, you know, at the end of the day, it just kind of justifies it just about came off for them. But it's exactly that. Um, it's those kind of little things which, which didn't quite go, go in our favour, unfortunately. And, um, yeah, I think what, one thing that was quite encouraging, as far as I was concerned, was that we last season called the Falcons specialists messing up kickoffs and giving the opposition tries very easily, whereas that didn't happen this week. Um, if anything, it was the other way around, and it was Harlequins doing the Falcons special. And we might have to think about what is the, this season's Falcons special, but as of yet, I can't see any fundamental problems with what we're trying. It might be the Falcons specialists getting tries disallowed because we had the rolling wall, Murapolis and the Radwan's interception. So that, there's three tries that didn't happen. Um, oh, and also, of course, uh, Stevens a second, which obviously was a foot in touch, but you could very easily argue it could have been a penalty try for a high attack. So far, the Falcons special seems to be getting tries disallowed. Yeah, um, I mean, that Stevens one was... Again, really unfortunate. I think the impression's kind of not just I felt, but certainly the people sitting around me was, oh, yeah, no, it's clearly in touch. That's fine. That's what everyone kind of thought watching it live. But we were all sort of expecting the referee to sort of jog over under the post and put his arm up. But, you know, it's sort of a bit dumbfounded as the fact he didn't do that. You know, you heard the cries saying, you know, hi, whatever. As it came on the screen, it just seemed sort of pretty obvious. And I think Harlequin's definitely, definitely got away one there. And I think nine times out of 10, you could be looking at a, penalty try there which of course perhaps you say maybe a new focus special that we don't give those but you're right with the kickoffs the kickoffs or receiving the kickoffs was very very good and hopefully that's going to stay the same throughout the rest of the season because that probably save us quite a few points and make our job a lot easier and also i noticed there wasn't a single box kick in the game no i mean that they, they did i think Schroeder did do a few sort of you know with the usual sort of things where it goes side to side a bit and then just try and get a bit of territory but it wasn't quite it's so so aimless. His, his, his kicks, were, his kicks, I'd say, were scrum halves kicking, as opposed to a, an up and under box kick sort of thing. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I didn't think there was any. I didn't come away from that thinking, you know, that, you know, all that useless kicking sort of thing. I think maybe that has been improved as well. Uh, but again, that kind of rolls in the fact that on the whole, look at it from you know, you sort of take take a step back and look at it all. Actually, there is a lot to be encouraged about, not just in terms of obviously running the champions close, but the performance and, and particular aspects of the performance and two examples there, the kickoff and, and perhaps less wasteful box kicking. Yeah, I also thought there were a few standout performances. Um, I think Robinson was excellent. I think Ferns was absolutely unbelievable. He, Burns, awful, yeah, he was, he was. He did an awful lot of um, heavy lifting, unseen work, getting stuck in, making yards every time he got the ball. Um, front row, I thought, were very good, especially scrummaging, um, the starting front row particularly. Schroeder, I think, um, was a, a different player. It's the one we saw the first few games last season where, if I'm honest, I thought he was a bit of a damp squib when we first signed him, but he certainly seems to have uh, pulled his finger out the end of last season, and this this season he looked very good again. I thought Brett Connan um, was quite good going forward. Ball hunt. There's, there's one moment where he decided to run into both their front rows, and 
unsurprisingly got turned over. But um, apart from that, I can't think of much did wrong all game. And then and Penny, uh, well, Penny at fullback didn't let anyone uh, down. Um, I was just about to say, um, our yeah. back three were fantastic, all three of them. So, yeah, Penny at fullback. I think Mike Brown um, definitely has to play for his place, which I think is good. And then Stevens, um, what a debut that is. Yeah, I mean, Brie obviously got, he got his try and he could have got one more. Uh, obviously, not, not even including the penalty try, he was almost close in it a couple of other times. But we're really blessed with a lot of quality on the wings. We have a full strength squad. I mean, I wouldn't even begin to sort of think who you'd pick it in a match day squad there. I mean, obviously, yeah, you've got to have your Radwan nailed down there if he's available or fit, but any other positions are completely up for grabs. I mean, yeah, I know they're trying to sort of fit Stevenson in the centre, maybe because obviously that is a position we are quite light and maybe he's the best candidate to sort of put then perhaps short, medium term, convert him into a bit of a centre. But even then, obviously, you'd be, you'd think, have a shout for a first choice winger. You, obviously very, very good last season. So we're blessed with a huge depth of quality on the wings, which I don't think, I can't remember the last time that sort of happened, really. Uh, but I think centres does remain a problem for us. I think what's also extremely encouraging is that the, the club seems to be blessed with a huge amount of regional talent. You look at the, the starting 15, I think more than half of them were from our catchment area. You've then got others like Robinson, I think, who came through Durham University, so kind of has a, a long affiliation with the region. And then coming off the bench, we had um, Academy Prospects again in um, the double-barreled duo, uh, Nordi Calametti and Hayden Wood, who both came on and didn't look out their depth against the Premiership champions. Yeah, um, I think, because we have perhaps criticised the club's transfer policy in terms of we needed strengthening in both those positions, scrum off and fullback. And I think maybe from the club's point of view, they know these two players are coming through. And perhaps they think, well, we've just about got enough coverage at a fly half, you know, with Conan and Hodgson. And, and we've got Schroeder, I presume Mickey Young is still in the playing squad, just isn't available at the moment. So, I mean, Stuart, of course, I'm Stuart's out injured. He's, he'll be available at some point. Um, so, but they, they probably think, well, we've got these two talents coming through, which will play them more and more over the coming season. So maybe it's not quite so desperate as perhaps it appears. But um, I thought Hayden Wood in the, in the preseason friendlies I saw had a bit of a mixed performance, but obviously he did show flashes, but, you know, nerves of steel to come on at the end to seal a last-ditch point against the champions. So, I mean, I think we can be pretty optimistic about both of them, actually. Um, I thought both looked pretty sharp, and, and I think it can possibly add something if, if they do come on. Yeah, and you mentioned a couple of injuries there. Um, but the back row we started with was not arguably our, our best one on paper. I'd say probably you could have Chuck Wilson and Gary Graham starting quite easily, but um, I think Collett coming off the bench was absolutely fantastic yet again. And the, the starting back row, all three of them, um, were brilliant as well. So... Really, really good in depth we've got at the minute in our squad. And even I thought the um, the front row replacements coming on, um, I know that there's been a bit of criticism of Tampin, especially over the past season, but um, he, he managed to do very well against a front row, which consists of Joe Marler, who people like to tout as one of the best scrummages in the league. Well, I thought in some ways we were kind of like opposites. So um, in the sense of Falcons and Quinns were. So I thought Falcons actually had the much better forwards throughout the game. I thought our forwards were better. Our set piece was much better. I thought our line-out wasn't perfect. It was a hell of a lot better. I thought Van der and Robinson line-out in particular were really good. Uh, the scrum was, was good. Uh, I just thought generally sort of 
with ball in hand, it sort of leads to play. I thought we were much better. Um, but of course, the flip side of that is I thought generally that their backs were, were better. Maybe that, that was the difference really in the end. But no, I mean, again, we talked about the wingers, but our forwards as, as well, we've got tremendous strength in depth there. And obviously that, that's a cause to be really optimistic. And I think we're going to get a lot of tries from the driving mall as well, which I think is going to be a really potent weapon for us, which is unfortunate not to get more than we did, I think, over the weekend, really. And obviously, Ferns perhaps should have got one. Yeah, um, I think Dean Richards keeps talking about his skinny squad, but um, I think it is, if you look at it right now, it's far from skinny, especially when we get the injuries back. I think we've actually got a very good 22 to 30 players which can all, all um, comfortably hold their own in the Premiership, which I think maybe in past seasons has been a bit of an issue for us once it, once we get through the season, but I guess time will tell how that one pans out. So looking forward, next up, we've got Bath away at the, the wreck. Traditionally, it hasn't been one of our better places to go and travel to, um, apart from being a lovely day out and nice views for any fans that do make it. How do you think the afternoon's going to pan out? Um, well, obviously, we won there last season, didn't we? A uh, really good start to the season. It's, it's quite a close one to call. I think perhaps a slightly different reason to... The, the Quinns game was perhaps quite close to call. Um, I think, you know, we've got to look at Bath as perhaps competitors if we are going to optimistically challenge for that sixth place. Uh, certainly between that sixth to eighth place, I think Bath are going to be kind of around there with us and a win will be very, very useful down there. Of course, I'll just get points for us, but it will deprive them of, of some points. And I would be looking for us to get one or, or two points there. I think we can get a good few tries there. Um, it, it's close to call. Um, I, I'm, I'm still optimistic. I think we, we could edge that, but back on their day, you know, they've got some real quality again in, in the backs and, you know, they can cause teams that have a lot of problems. So we're going to have to be at it. But again, I think it's a really, really close one to call. I fancy our chances there. I think that um, the, the team that we saw play at the weekend against Harlequins, I think um, if they play like they did against Bath, looking at, um, I've only seen the highlights of Bath sale and there wasn't a great deal to, to, to see in that highlight package. But um, I think we've caused them some real problems, especially out wide. Well, I think it's all about, well, we'll start to see it's maybe all about consistency. Hey, of course, it's going to be two games, but if we put in a good performance and get a win, or at least you know get a, a minimum point or two in a close game, and you might think, all right, well, you know, we've had a couple of tough games to start with, a really tough home game, a tough away game, picked up, you know, I don't know, three or four points or something, or two or three points, whatever it may be. Worst case scenario, really. what we have to look for is, is not a huge dip in performance. We don't want to be a bit like last season where we're not entirely short times what sort of focus team's going to turn up as you say I think our chances are, are pretty good uh, if a win there will, is going to really really help us we'll do a roundup of the rest of the Premier League later on but there's some other news that um, we've been chatting about this week um, the the 12s competition seems to be more than just a brief flash in the pan I think Beaumont has been talking about it seems like Eddie Jones is sticking his oar in as well I'm, I'm getting actually quite concerned about it. It seems that the only people that are speaking out against it are those with a vested interest in the club rugby in the in the UK or in England. And um, I think it, it should be the case that the RFU comes out and makes a stand saying we either do support this or we don't support it. If they do support it, I think the RFU is not fit for purpose and should get dissolved. And if they if they don't support it, then anybody that says they support it should be guilty by association and summarily dismissed or shot. And that would get rid of Eddie Jones as well, so that would be a good idea because it seems like he's um, talking about it with uh, quite favourable terms at the minute. Well, you do suspect a lot of these big names may be a favour for it because, you know, there's probably some sort of punditry deal in the pipeline for them, something like that. Um, 
Baxter, I saw, I think it was in the Telegraph. So it said that it would be like the jam in the sandwich and it just, or players would be like the jam in the sandwich and just be, um, obviously the reference might be a bit sticky for them. And, you know, so obviously, you know, Baxter, I think always been one who's kind of seen it from more of a club perspective. Um, one of the more concerning things, I know you're going to get sort of your big name, perhaps sort of international coaches, whatever may back it for, you know, reasons that perhaps are financial. Uh, but yeah, you had interesting people like Danny Keras or actually, sort of say his favourite. And I think it's more worrying when you actually get players sort of, or certainly big name players actually say, oh, you know, yeah, it's a good idea, you know, liven up the game or, or, or whatever. Um, I mean, that's when you sort of get the worry, really. <laughs> but we'll have to see what happens with it. Um, I, I'm I'm still hoping, holding out that it's probably not going to take off in the way that perhaps we fear. But um, noises at the moment aren't particularly encouraging. I have to agree with you there. Yeah, um, one other bit of rugby news, which I, I guess could be, well, it is quite a good thing for um, developing the game. You may or may not have heard of it. The Rugby Europe Super Cup. It's not anything stupid. It's just kind of a, a new one for the, the, the non-Six Nations countries club teams. If that is enough apostrophes, I don't know. So these are the, the countries like Israel, Russia, Belgium, Spain, where they, they have... Um, reasonably good teams which occasionally play in European competitions but instead of them being in the Challenge Cup they are in the, this league not quite as straightforward as just a league I think because um, because of the nature of things and possibly even visas um, they've split it into two conferences uh, so you've got the the Eastern Conference which um, you've got these fantastic names like Georgia the Black Lion you've got Tel Aviv Heat from Israel um, you've got Anisi who Falcons have actually played in the past and um, Locomotive Penza so there you've got a Georgian and Israeli and two Russian teams in the Eastern Conference and then the Western Conference you've got um, the, the Brussels Devils from Belgium you've got the Delta from Netherlands um, the Lusitanos from Portugal and the Castilla y Leon Iberians from Spain I don't know what Lusitanos means in Portugal. Well, that's, uh, it comes from Lusitania. Here we go. It's less I was in the ship that sank. Which is the, well, yeah, but Lusitania was the Latin for Portugal. So oh, right. from, from there. But um, the Castilla y Leon team, they're based in Valladolid, and I, I'm pretty sure they're either a successor or offshoot or something to do with, with the Valladolid Rugby Club, which some of some fans may or may, or may remember or not that Falcons have actually played in the Challenge Cup a few years ago. So, overall, I think that that competition, um, I, I hold it in, in mixed regard. Part of me thinks it's absolutely fantastic that these teams are getting um, a bit more recognition and also they're free to, these matches are free to view um, via the internet. Um, if you've got clever televisions, you can watch them on those, you could watch them on an iPad or a tablet or whatever you want to call them. The winner of each conference is going to go into uh, a final. And they haven't said it yet, but what I'd quite like to see is the winner of that final getting into the Challenge Cup. The reason I say that is partly because I think that they deserve it. And secondly, that there is a noticeable absence of these countries from the Challenge Cup. And I hope it isn't a way of kind of segregating via the back door these countries where you used to get teams in Georgia and Russia in the Challenge Cup and occasionally the odd Spanish or Portuguese one, whereas it seems that Maybe this is a way of keeping them out of it. I don't know. I don't know. I think maybe it was created um, on the basis, uh, as you say, perhaps to give these these countries a bit more sort of recognition or a bit more exposure to, to the game. Anyway, you know how, how 
you know, this sort of thing sort of works in these developing rugby developing countries. I think you're right, it would be really nice if the winner did get a shot in the Challenge Cup. But um, this, this is, of course, the normal season for it. I, I imagine they want to keep doing this. So you perhaps, as for instance, keep the same teams in the competition all the time because obviously you'd have to maybe fill it up with another team or whatever. We could expand it perhaps. So I think it's a really good thing. So from what I understand is a lot of the teams have sort of recruited heavily from uh, overseas. So I think, uh, you know, you sort of get a lot of, you know, your Namibian or South African players or South Islander players coming in. So I think those sort of relatively big name, sort of semi into the big name international team players can really kind of help kind of grow the game in these countries. I think also, if you look at the clubs themselves, they're a mixture of the bracket semi-professional European traditional clubs. And also there's some kind of new franchises involved as well. So it could be one of these things where I don't quite know why you'd want to own a franchise in this unless there's big money riding in it, which I can't see there being, um, unless you're someone who's enthusiastic about rugby and has bottomless pockets. So what I hope doesn't happen is that um, some of the these newer clubs just kind of peter out and go into administration in a couple of years' time. But at the same time, I would quite like it if the winners from these national leagues within these countries could get a stab at it but I guess it's kind of segregated and the best team in Spain won't necessarily get the option it'll just be the Castieri Leon Iberians yeah I mean I'm not sure how it works it could be as you say I think maybe they're sort of privately backed or maybe the country's sort of own rugby unions or federations kind of a bit like I suppose Scotland do isn't it they sort of run their own franchises but obviously this would be to a lesser degree perhaps they get funding from it could be World Rugby or or Rugby Europe or whatever to, to kind of do that because they're the, they're the ones who, I suppose, long-term kind of want the investment and, and to grow the sport. Um, but I think it's quite exciting. And I think, you know, the fact you can just watch it free on the uh, Rugby Europe website, you know, if you fancy over the weekend just watching a bit of, you know, probably reasonably high-quality rugby, um, then there you go, you know, with some exciting sort of new teams. And I think it'd be nice to kind of get some views on there to kind of help grow the, the competition. Yeah, and with any luck, it won't be ruined by the video ref and all the technology and whatnot that arguably could be described as happening these days it might just be nice to see some people punching each other for once that's a good point i wonder how much technology there are up there but uh yeah no i think it'd be maybe slightly perhaps a bit of a throwback and some, something a little different perhaps you know get yourself into if you just I wonder if, you, I wonder if you get the heavily biased referees like the, there's a belgium spain match a few years ago where there was a russian referee that rigged it so russia qualified for something or other um, I can't remember the ins and outs, but I, I remember there's all sorts of uproar in a, in a national match in the lower tier. So hopefully there'll be similar corruption and collusion within the uh, semi-professional game because it's always quite good fun when all that sort of controversy occurs. Well, perhaps that's the, the tastiest game could be that Russian derby. <laughs> yes, make it out alive if you can. Or, or Georgia-Russia one. That'd be interesting, actually. <laughs> I like it very much. So. The, the, the Russian team might just come out with a flag and plant it in the middle of the pitch and say it's their ground at that point in time. You don't, you don't know. Uh, Graham Sooners at Galatasaray style, was it? <laughs> right, so uh, if we look at the, the rest of the rugby this weekend. So on Friday night, um, Saracens came back to the Premiership with a very convincing 26-9 victory against Bristol. It was one of those games where it wasn't fantastic in terms of tries, but Obviously, two very good teams. Then on Saturday, Leicester beat Exeter 34-19. Northampton beat Gloucester 34-20. Worcester beat London Irish 36-24, which is an interesting one. And Sale beat Bath 20 points to 19. Um, obviously, on Sunday, we 
narrowly lost to Harlequins. Get now bonus point with the last kick of the game, thanks to Haydenwood. Um, the 26-20 defeat. And then next weekend, the matches are such that on Friday night, it's Gloucester versus Leicester. On Saturday, it is Bath versus us. Exeter versus Northampton, Harlequins versus Worcester, Wasps versus Bristol, all at three o'clock. And then on Sunday, it's London Irish versus Sale. Are we on TV, Ian? We're not, unfortunately. So you'll have to get your trannies out and listen to Smithy and Dean on Radio Newcastle. Right. One thing to note about this weekend results is Bristol lost, Exeter lost, Sale only won by a point, and Harlequins narrowly scraped through against us. So they're the top four from last season. And it's got... All the hallmarks of being a year where it could go any way and maybe be quite an exciting, exciting season because already you've got some of the, the bigger teams arguably playing catch up. Well, we've always said, I mean, last season, I think probably even more this season, uh, that it's going to be really tight and it's a league where anyone could beat anyone because, you know, we've looked at the fixtures and think, oh, are there any sort of easier or, or tougher months? And it's so, it you can't really tell really because you just never know. I mean, it's interesting I said about the Worcester result. I mean, I said a few weeks ago how Worcester perhaps could be a surprise package because they're a completely different team to what they were last season in terms of personnel and, and management. And the question was whether it would take time for them to gel or, or you know, or will it, or will they hit the ground running? I mean, obviously it's a really good result for them, but, but we remember obviously London Irish don't travel very well. Um, We'll see. Uh, I mean, there's obviously, uh, there's not going to be a rabbit team this year, I don't think. I think Worcester are going to be better than they were last year. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, the only's are really tight at the top. It's really tight everywhere in the league. Um, so it, it's really sort of exciting stuff. And, uh, good thing is no relegation, I think, because, uh, there's <laughs> less to worry about because I think we could be looking a bit nervously over our shoulder for part of the season. I think you're being a bit of a pessimist uh, there, Ian. Um, I don't think there's yeah, a, maybe, maybe not yeah. too much to worry about um, the relegation team. <laughs> there was relegation this season, I think, the way we played the weekend. But the league table is what it is. I'm not going to bother going through it because the teams that I read out that won have four or five points, and those that lost have one or zero. And then Wasps obviously didn't play, but this point in the season, there's no point in delving into the league table. We do have the the local leagues as well. If we kind of in, in working our way down, I'm not going to read them all out because there's bloody hundreds of them. I'm not going to go into second and third teams either because there'll be bloody two or three hundreds of them. Uh, in the national one, Darlington got beaten by Blackheath. Um, quite a lot of travelling for Darlington and Melbourne Park. They're one of these teams where they've always been travelling a bit, but um, they've got the women's as well down there. So that, I, I guess they've got a good coach provider because they get, must get all over the country, rack up the miles. Um, and then in League Two North, Bladen got pipped by Harrogate and Tyndale got off to a winning start at Lucktonians. Um, it's quite nice to see Anik still um, they're scoring tries in North Premier. I remember playing against them in Durham, Northumberland Division 1 uh, a number of years ago, and um, it was always a good trip up to Anik. And it was always nice to see what I'd call a, a, a rugby club doing it the hard way. It's not a glamorous place. It's a place where there tend to be a bunch of farmers that get on a bus every weekend and maybe a bit being derogatory about them, but it's certainly a proper rugby club where um, they don't get a load of students or what have you playing for them. Um, so there's those as well. Um, and then it's quite interesting that you've now got more Perth Durham City and concerts all in North East 1. Um, and to be honest, they're all scoring tries, which is good for the region. Um, and then you've got the how the mighty have fallen. You've now got your, your Northerns and your Percy Parks and your West Hartlepools and Durham and Northumberland 1. Um, and... Yes, Percy Park put 69 points on Sunderland, but they're in, they're in that league. And Northern, who at one point were really pressing up the leagues, uh, um, only just beat my 
home team of Pontelan, 25-22. And then you've got all your Hartlepools scattered around with Gay Abandon in uh, Division 3 and Division 2. And, um, yeah, it's, it's quite nice just to see that um, club, club rugby has returned. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it's uh, it's been well underway for a couple of weeks now, at least. Um, I'm hoping to dust off my boots and get a run out for um, a, a lower team, I'll put it that way. Uh, but over the weekend, I've, I've said I'm available, so I'll get, I'll do my bashing up and get bashed up before uh, I switch on the radio uh, for the Bath game, uh, running out for Norman over the weekend. Um, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, I've been away the past couple of weeks, so unfortunately I've sort of missed a couple of games. I might have had a chance to, to be partnering, but no, I'm really, really looking forward to it. I absolutely can't wait. Even it's just a few minutes. It's just nice to get on the pitch and get in that atmosphere again. Exactly. And that's what it's all about. So, Next week, when I'm speaking to you, the podcast will sound a bit different because you'll have no teeth, a rearranged nose, and a couple of black eyes. Is that right? Yeah, well, I hope so. That means I've obviously got stuck in having a sort of last for it. Great. So, thank you everybody for listening and speak to you again next week. Bye, everyone. The computer itself's mm. just broken. So, let's hope that that has recorded or else I'll lose the will to live. <sighs> don't even want to con- contemplate that, really. <laughs> Good dress rehearsal. Yeah. <laughs> that seemed all right, I think. As long as it recorded. Yeah, yeah. You've got to 